Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here. If you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest this morning. You are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week, and as a guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people, even on a cold morning like today. Kids, it's always good seeing you here at church. This morning in Kids Church, you're going to be learning about the Holy Spirit. God kept His promise to send the Holy Spirit, and you're going to learn more about Him this morning. With the Holy Spirit's help, Jesus' disciples could begin their work about telling people the gospel, telling people about Jesus. Did you know that God gives the Holy Spirit to everyone who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I hope you learned some good information about the Holy Spirit. Hope you have some fun this morning in Kids Church. Kids, thank you for being here with us this morning at church. You're dismissed to go to the lobby to be taken up to Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in uh, grades kindergarten through fifth grade. And parents and grandparents, you can pick up your kids after our services are over in the lobby. We're going to be in our series, How We Got Here. We're quickly looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis in this series to help form an introduction for the rest of the Bible. What happens in these first 11 chapters of Genesis gives us a framework to better understand the rest of the scriptures. The Bible is in is many stories telling one big story, and that story is God rescuing people like you and me. God rescues people to bring them back to the holy work that he created them for. Last week we spent most of our time in the first verse of the first chapter of the first book in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we got a little heady, we got a little philosophical last week, and that happens when we study the beginnings. Anytime you think about how everything started, it's going to get a little heady, it's going to get a little philosophical. It can be a difficult concept to, to consider and to, to struggle with. And I am all for simple faith. I am all for believing the Bible because it says what it says. But God has given us reason. God has given us a mind, and he's given us the ability to think. He's given us the ability to wonder. It's good practice to go to some heady places with God in the Bible. It's permissible to wonder about God philosophically. When you realize the word philosophy means the love of wisdom. God is the giver of wisdom. And so if you think that way, if you think philosophically, you're thinking about loving something God creates and gives to us. In our attempt to go beyond simple faith, our understanding and our experience of God can greatly deepen. This morning, we're going to continue looking at the creation account, but we're going to be in the second chapter of Genesis. In Genesis 2, we're going to look at God creating man and woman. We'll be looking at Genesis 2, 4 through 7 first, and then we're going to look at Genesis 2, 21 through 23. Here's Genesis 2, 4 through 7. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground 
and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. In verses 21 through 23 of chapter 2, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Let's pray in response to what we just read. God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you are a good creator. You are the, you are the creator of everything. And you saved the best for last. You created man and woman. You created us differently from each other. You created us to do holy work alongside you. And we thank you for your good creation. We thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. So here we have the accounts of God creating man and woman. We're going to be looking closer at them in just a moment. But first, I want to draw your attention to the way the author of Genesis is speaking of God. Look at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now let's compare that with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1.1, we have a zoomed out picture of the generic term for God, Elohim. Elohim creating the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 2.4, we have this zoomed in picture of the sixth day and a somewhat zoomed-in picture of God, the Lord God. In Hebrew, this is Yahweh Elohim. The Lord God creating humanity. We have not only this zoomed-in picture of what God is doing, but a zoomed-in picture of who God is. Now remember, in this, these first few chapters of Genesis, we get this zoomed-out view of God and creation. Then we have, without any warning, we go into a zoomed-in picture of creation and what's happening. We zoom out, we zoom in. We're constantly doing this in Genesis 1 through 11. And we're zoomed in on something specific. 1-1, Elohim creating. In 2-4, we have Yahweh Elohim creating. It's the same creator. This is the same God. It's not two different gods. It's not two different stories. It's the same God, but it's different. It's written to us differently. And why, why would it be written to us? It's important. In the Hebrew language, the language of most of the Old Testament, we have several terms that point us toward God. I've listed a few of them in your notes. You can take a look at them. El, or Elohim, these are spiritual beings God or gods, this term speaks of where the being resides. So in Elohim, they reside in the spiritual world. You can sort of contrast that with earthlings. We live on earth. Elohim resides in the spiritual world. Then you have 
Yahweh, the personal name of God. This is found in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this, peop- this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then another term that's in the Old Testament in Hebrew is Adonai. This is a name for a being who possesses power or authority. So Lord, Father, or God. And then you have this term, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. This is a unique phrase of God. It's only found in Genesis 2 and 3 in one other space in the first five books of the Bible. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Now, in the other parts of the Old Testament, you have Lord God, but it's not Yahweh Elohim. Genesis was written, in your notes, Genesis was written to strengthen the faith of those who may be losing their faith. So in Genesis 2-4, we're zoomed in to this term, the Lord God. The author is telling us something. He is saying, the Lord who created everything, the Lord who's responsible for all things being around, that God, you know him. That God is your God. That God is our God. Can you imagine the joy and celebration that happens as the Hebrew people hear this statement. They are living in a world where they are surrounded by cultures telling them that their God is weak. And then they hear these, this word that Yahweh Elohim created man and woman. They are surrounded in the Old Testament by nations with competing beliefs. Much like biblical Christianity today, we are surrounded by competing beliefs. The Hebrews are usually on the receiving end of pain, ridicule, and persecution, many times of their own doing. They are often tempted to leave their God. They struggle to believe their God. I don't know if you're ever like that, if you've ever been tempted to leave your God, if you've ever struggled to believe the God of the Bible. The church in general is very much like the Hebrew people in this way. The church is often tempted to leave our God, the God of the Bible, to follow a God that we want to believe in. Our culture, our family, our friends may cause us to question our God and our faith. Our love for our family and our friends who struggle with all types of sin issues can quickly drive us to bad theology or cause us to leave the faith because we lose our view of who God is according to the Bible. In Genesis 2-4, the Hebrew people see that they know the God who created everything. He's the God who was with them in the Exodus. He's the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He's the God who gave them his name as I am who I am. This is the covenantal God who keeps his promises. This is the God they know as Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. 
as Christians, this is our God. The next time you're tempted with a weak faith, look at Genesis 2-4 and remember who your God is. Yahweh Elohim, our Lord God. This zoomed-in account of Genesis 2 reveals something else that helps strengthen our faith. Last week, I said that God saved the best for last in his creating work. He created humanity last. Let's look at, again at these two passages that specifically speak on God creating man and woman. First in Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And in Genesis 2:21 and 22, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. What do you notice here that could cause your faith to strengthen in God? We didn't spend much time with this last week, but you probably know in Genesis 1 that God created by speaking. We have something like, God said, let there be, and there was, all throughout Genesis 1. God spoke by creating, by speaking. He created by speaking. In Genesis 2, we have something different. We have a zoomed-in picture of God creating. In your notes, God formed man from dirt. Here in Genesis 2-7, we have this picture of the Lord God using his hands, much like a potter who is working with clay, to create something unique. There is a closeness conveyed here that isn't in Genesis 1. When a potter is working with clay, he is right there with the clay. As God is forming man from the dust of the ground, we get this image of God being extremely close to his creation. This is different than God just saying, let there be man, and it was so. If that's what had happened, that would have been fine. That would have been well within the scope of God creating. But we see a closeness to his creation, a closeness to humanity that we don't see in other aspects of creation. It continues in the account of the creating of woman. In your notes, God made the woman from a rib, Again, there's this closeness between the Lord God and his creation, the woman. Man and woman are special. Humanity is created differently than the rest of creation. We are special. We are unique. Man and woman are also created differently from each other. All of this must mean something. This closeness to the creator continues even to this day. Let's look at Psalm 139.13. It'll be on the screen. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You were created with a closeness to God that is similar to the creation of the man and woman created in Genesis 2. God formed your inward parts. 
God knitted you together in your mother's womb. The closeness that the first man and woman had in their creation to their creator is the same that you had with your creator when he created you. Psalm 139 goes on to say that you were wonderfully created. God has plans for you, just as he had plans for the first man and first woman. Let's continue in Genesis 2. Let's, look at the first, let's first look at verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made, the spring, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you continue reading through verses 10 through 14, you get a general location of where the Garden of Eden was. The first hearers of Genesis probably knew where the Garden garden of Eden was. The Tigris and Euphrates are still flowing today, but we don't know where the other two rivers, uh, we don't know about the other two rivers. We believe that the Garden of Eden would have been either in modern-day Turkey or near Iraq. But let's continue in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Garden of Eden was meant to be a home for God to be with his creation. God doesn't need anything, but he knows that humanity needs food and purpose. So God gives the man food and purpose. The purpose was to work the garden and to keep it, to tend to it. This was probably pretty easy work because this was before the fall and the ground hasn't been cursed. Yesterday, I walked ten and a half miles in my backyard. And I don't have that big of a backyard, but ten and a half miles in my backyard was 22,000 steps. That was a lot of work. I was sowing grass seed and throwing down straw in hopes of getting some grass. Adam, the man, had a much easier go of working the garden. This was before the fall. The man, in your notes, the man was given purpose. You and I, we need purpose. Without purpose, our life is unfulfilling, isn't it? I remember being bored out of my mind during the COVID-19 lockdown or the quarantine. Remember, we had to go home. We couldn't go out. And I'm a homebody, and I enjoy being home, but, I, but we were being forced at home with no end date in sight. Emily asked me one day, she said, what's wrong? I was like, I'm bored. And this was just two weeks in, and you probably were the same way. Without purpose, life is unfulfilling. God knows that about us. And he, get, he gives the man purpose here in the garden. God also knew that the man needed to eat. God gave the man food. We see something here interesting, that as he gives him food, in your notes, God gives the man freedom with limits. God gives the man freedom with limits. Do you see that here in verses 16 and 17? The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. God has given the man a beautiful and plentiful garden to live in alongside God and to do holy work that God had created him to do. We would probably enjoy this lifestyle. So much good food, so much good purpose, so much good company with God there in the garden. We're zoomed in on this man in the garden. Then we get zoomed in onto a single tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree is a limit to man's freedom. The man had many other choices for food, but not this tree. What happens when one eats of this tree? Death. Take note to what God says about this tree because next week this tree will be, again, a focal point of interaction between humanity and the spiritual realm. We'll get there next week, but let me just go ahead and mention to you that we need to know God's Word. We need to know God's words to us because our enemy will try to distort God's Word and tempt us into disobedience. God's words are given to us in the Bible. Use the Bible to get to know God and to know what He wants. Don't use preachers only to get to know God. Don't use musicians only to get to know God. Don't use other people only to get to know God. You have God's Word. Read it. Use it. Know it. Put it to action. We have limits to man's freedom here in the garden. We like freedom here in the United States, but there's always limits to freedom. In the U.S., we have many freedoms, but there's consequences to misuse or abuse of those freedoms. There are limits to every freedom that we have. This is the same with God. God has given you freedom. He's given you choice. He did so with the man in the garden, and he continues with each of us. Within that freedom, though, we have limits. We don't like limits, though, do we? Speed limits are just a suggestion, aren't they? Stop signs mean slow to optional pause. No, they're limits. You are within your freedom under the speed limit. Once you go over the speed limit, you are no longer within the freedom. There are consequences, fees, points, among other things. The idea of limits anger us. We tell others that we can be or do anything we want. We tell this to our kids. We tell this to ourselves. Limits are antithetical to the way our culture wants us to live. We have always had limits. And in your notes, we will always have limits. We are a created thing. We have a creator who has set limits. We can go outside those limits, but what happens? Look back at verse 17. You shall surely die. This is the consequences of sin. We haven't gotten to sin yet. That happens next week in Genesis 3. But we see that God is aware of what the idea of limitation will do to his creation. You shall surely die. You want to live any way you want to live? You shall surely die. 
you want to ignore parts of the Bible you don't like, you shall surely die. God knows the temptations that we face. God knows how we're wired. God knows where our faith is weak. God wants the best for you. And he knows that he is the best for you. God has given you freedom with limits, not to harm you, but to point you back to him. He is the best for you. Find him in his word. Let's continue in verse 18. We see God continuing to show great care for this newly created man. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You may have noted that this is the first time that God said something is not good in Genesis. He has created, and at the end of each day, he said what he created was good. God creates man alone and says it is not good. Now, this isn't new information. God didn't create and say, whoops, this isn't good. God knew this was happening. He, he didn't suddenly realize it. This is a statement to us to show us his continual care for his creation. God is saying he is not done. God is letting creation know his thoughts and his actions are for our good. God is about to do something good for the man he created. The people of Israel need to know that they serve a good God. You and I need to know that we serve a good God. He is actively caring for our needs. We see that here in Genesis. God creates a helper for the man. In your notes, the man and woman are to do holy work together alongside God. You and I were created to do holy work together with each other and alongside God. It is not good when we are alone. This is something our culture needs to hear. And I'm talking about our Christian culture. Online Christianity in isolation is not good. It is not what God intends for His people. God wants us together with others in the local church, doing ministry together, doing the holy work together and with each other and alongside God. You can't have a church of one. You can't worship any way you want to and think it's pleasing to God. You can't be a solo Christian. It's never been that way, and it will never be that way. Let's look at verse 25 quickly. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What do you notice here? Yes, they were both naked, but what else? In their nakedness, they were not ashamed. We see that when we live within the limits that God has given us, there is no shame. In your notes, there is no shame when we live within the limits that God has given us. No shame. Can you imagine life with no shame? You can be unashamed as you live within the limits that God has given. What freedom there is. Can you imagine living with no shame? 
It may not seem possible, considering your past or possibly even your present. You may be sitting there realizing that you're not living within the limits that God has created and set. You realize that you are living the way you want to live. You're thinking or doing things that, even in your rebellion from God, you realize are shameful. What are you to do? Remember, living outside the limits of God and what He has set, you shall surely die. That death is an everlasting separation from God and from all things good. It is not a pleasant forever. You must understand that life, being lived outside the limits that God has put on us, will end in eternal death. You must also understand that you are not alone. We are all in the same boat. Each one of us have lived our life outside the limits that God has put on us. We are all guilty. There is not one of us here who has always lived within the limits What may be different with some of us is that we have come to understand the limit that God has placed on us and we have agreed with God that we've lived outside of it. We have recognized our need to turn away from that life and to trust in Jesus to make us right with God and to return us to the holy work that God had created us for. Maybe some of you are living like you're a church of one. You've removed yourself from the collective us of the church and have attempted to be a Christian alone and online. This is not what God wants for you. The very first time God said something wasn't good was when it was just God and man. Man was alone, but he was with God, and God said it was not good. God wants for you to be a part of a group, of a local church, to be with others doing holy work together with each other and alongside God. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing in a moment a song of invitation. If you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus, this is a time for you to come forward. You can speak with me or you can pray. You can pray there in your seats silently as well. If you've ever wondered about your purpose or about God's love for you, this is a time of response for you. You were created to be loved by God to do holy work alongside him with others. You were specially made. You've been given purpose by God who is near. Will you follow Jesus today? Will you stand as we pray? God, we thank you that you are our Lord God, our Yahweh Elohim, close, your creation thank you for making us thank you for giving us limits to point us to our need for you to live in obedience to your word as you've given it to us forgive us when we live outside your limits thank you for Jesus who brings us back to you and brings us back to our holy calling of doing holy work alongside you with each other. In Jesus' name we pray.